Welcome to Forbes Podcasts. Hi, I'm Denise Ristari, and this is Mentoring Moments, where women you may never meet will become your mentors. Mentoring Moments is part of the Forbes Podcast Network, produced by Fractal Recording. Well, this is the last show of season one of Mentoring Moments, but I'm not sad because I have two great pieces of news. The first is Mentoring Moments will now be bigger. It was picked up by the new Forbes on Podcast One Network, which means that instead of coming to you every other week, will now be weekly, and I'm so excited about that. The second part of the great news is my guest today, your mentor, closing out season one of Mentoring Moments with Sally Krawcheck. Today, I'm not in my New York City apartment, but I packed up my mic and headed over to Elevest, the company that Sally is the CEO and co-founder of. So Elevest is this digital platform that offers investment solutions for women because women approach investing differently than men, and Wall Street is ignoring us. Hard to believe that it's 2016 and we're having this conversation, but the good news is that Sally is out to change that. So Sally just didn't wake up one morning and think, what a good idea I have. She's had a long career on Wall Street. She's been at the top of Merrill Lynch, Smith Barney, and City. And since May of 2013, she's been chairman of Elevate, the professional network for women. And I love this one. She says she holds a world record, that she is the only woman who has been fired on the front page of the Wall Street Journal twice. Twice. And I'm betting she's overflowing with mentoring moments. So Sally, it's so great to be here in your office. This is different for me because usually I'm in my, at my kitchen table in my apartment <laughs> with all of my familiar surroundings. And so it's, but it's great to be here. Thank you. Well, we're so happy to have you here. Well, thank you. So we are going to just dive right in mm -hmm. into your mentoring moment, that story that you can share mm -hmm. that will help others, something that's happened to you that is that, wow, wait till you hear this, or you need to know this. Well, I think it's, I don't know that it's a wow, but I think it's a you need to know this um, as a professional woman. Uh, and as a professional woman, uh, I, know, I know so many of your listeners are have small children, are thinking about having children, and I remember when my children were tiny, and working and trying to be a good wife and trying to be a good new mother and exhausted. And I remember a friend of mine telling me, if you can just hold on through this time, by your fingertips if you have to, by your fingertips, it is all going to get better. And sure enough, it was a couple-year period. I remember I finally thought, oh, here we go. Uh, when I took the kids on a plane flight and they could actually read during the whole plane flight by themselves. I thought, I've, I've reached it. I've reached the other side. But it was that it's going gonna, it's gonna to get better if you can hold on. And if, as, if you know yourself that you love to work, the other part of the message she didn't give me is if you leave the workforce, it's, it can be hard to get back in. And so if you can hold on, 
you're, you're several years further ahead. If you leave, it's not clear you can get back in. The part that I would add to it for your listeners that I've tried to provide is mentoring to women. We know that about the kids early or hard, what, and then it gets better. But what nobody tells us is the kids as teenagers are even harder. How old are your kids now? Well, my kids now are 20 and 22. Um, but, you know, I feel like they just a second ago were 16, 18. That's worse because all of a sudden the issues are my friend is smoking pot and my friend has got a crush on so-and-so and they're bigger issues. So it gets even harder. And the final thing nobody tells you is then they go away to college and you've got oceans of time. You're still young, so many of us. You know, you haven't been doing your job full, full time because you've had this other interest of the kids. And so your job is interesting. You're at a different age. People are more willing to accept you as a leader. The research shows it gets really great. And I'm going to go back to some tips on how do you hang on by your fingertips. Mm -hmm. But when my daughter, my daughter's now 23, and my mom was a stay-at-home mom, mm -hmm. and I was working at USA Today, and my daughter was adopted. I was 40 mm -hmm. when she was adopted, when I adopted her. From mm -hmm. the moment she was born, she yeah. has been mine. Aww. And um, so I had her from that moment. Mm -hmm. So... I we didn't have maternity leave at USA Today mm -hmm. for adoption, mm -hmm. right? It was oh, like come on. no, no. I wish I could say come oh, on. Come yes, on. yes. I wish I could. We did not. The only person that had ever adopted who was at the executive level at USA Today before me was Kathy Black, mm -hmm. and she was at a different level. So I don't know what her. Mm -hmm. privileges were or what what she was able to get mm -hmm. but I was I was I was not that senior I was yeah. vice president oh, of sales no. my assistant would come over this is you know 23 mm -hmm. years ago so we didn't have the laptops and all mm -hmm. the internet that we have now she would come over she would watch my daughter like I would take a nap during the day yeah. I had a night nurse so I had all the yeah. things but you just aren't sleeping I mean yeah. nothing is normal no. right no. but what I want to get to is I didn't know you know what going back to work it was so hard because mm -hmm. I had gone through years of infertility treatment and mm -hmm. then my then I had a fall through on an adoption and now I have mm -hmm. my daughter and I'm really struggling with, do I really want to go back to work? Right. But I'm not that mom who sits on the floor and plays with Barbie dolls, right? That's, that's yeah. my mom. That's not yeah. me. Mm -hmm. So, but my mom gave me the best advice. The person who I thought would say, honey, you know, you don't need right. to work, right. stay home. She said, just go back and give it a try. Mm -hmm. Go back to work and see what happens mm -hmm. because you can always quit in a month or two or three. So it's very similar to what right. we're hearing now 23 years later is don't give up that seat at the table mm -hmm. until you're sure you want to give it up. Well, my mother said to me when I was crying outside a restaurant when she came to visit when my second child, my daughter, was born, I said, I'm so tired and I can't do it. And I'm so tired. And she said, ah, you're going to be tired for a while. So what? And I, oh, okay. Oh, okay. Well, if you put it that way. <laughs> was your mom a working mom? Or nope. she, she was stay a stay-at-home mom? Stay-at-home mom. But she knew how much I loved my work. Right. And I really did. She could. She understood that about me. And so she sort of gave me the tough love. Or, ah, it's no big deal. Everybody's tired. You know, move on. And it's hard, right? And when I remember when my daughter, so everyone at USA Today that had kids, we didn't have a daycare center, but there was a daycare center that was kind of our daycare mm -hmm. center. So all of our kids went there. So Allie, my daughter, goes there her first day. And at lunchtime, I sneak over kind of to go see how she's doing. And I come back two hours later to see how she's doing because it's right across the street. And two hours later, I come back and the people at the daycare center said to me, you have to decide. Do you want to stay at work or do you want to come work here? Because this is not going to work. Aww. Aww, right. Oh, cute. 
cute. But now it's like I'm so happy. But what are, do you have any thoughts or tips, stories you can share about how do you hang, how did you hang on? Well, I actually think, so there's there's a tactical and there's a strategic. And let's start with the tactical. Um, The tactical, I always say the smartest thing, goodness knows I can't change my husband. Goodness knows I cannot move that man a centimeter. But I did convince him of one thing early on, and that is that when our then toddlers screamed mommy in the middle of the night to find the pacifier, to find the you know, teddy bear that fell out of bed, et cetera, they actually meant parent of either gender. That's great. That's what they meant. Right. And that we took turns. Um, we took turns waking up in the middle of the night. I'd have Tuesday, he'd have Wednesday, I'd have Thursday. And sometimes you, and then we'd take turns sleeping in on the weekends. Not that sleeping in was so late, but I got to sleep, you know, I'd sleep till eight or nine, which was, you know, really late for us and the other one had to get up with a baby went whenever and sometimes you got lucky and the baby would sleep most of the night and other times you got unlucky but we we made that trade off and and I think that helped it made us both tired but neither of us beyond exhaustion so that was the tactical it was sort of figuring it out with a spouse I was fortunate enough to have a spouse and fortunate enough to have a supportive spouse he was fortunate enough to have me as a spouse too um I'd say the strategic was recognizing that these were not really life and death, that these were um, decisions that we were privileged to make, that these were issues that we were privileged to have, that I knew so many in my uh, of my friends who wanted to be working and, and weren't, couldn't find a job, got tossed out of their old job, didn't like their job, and that I actually was working a job I loved, and, I, and we don't need to go into women who have to work and don't want to work. Um, women who wish they were working but can't find that job. So the fact that we can have this work-life balance discussion is a privilege. It's a first-world privileged problem. And when you recognize that, and on top of it, you recognize that children are resilient, that, you know, it, if you act like being 15 minutes late for the kindergarten play is no big deal, they, they'll see that and mimic it. If you act like, oh, I can't believe it and apologize and apologize, you'll be in psychotherapy together 40 years from now. Um, so it's, I think, the stance you take and, and for me having a bit of a sense of humor about the whole thing. I agree. My girlfriend and I used to always say that our goal, we had our daughters are the same age, our goal was to minimize the amount of time they would spend in therapy as right. adults, never thinking they're going to be clear of it. Right. It's like, how do Good we try. just Good minimize try. it, right, mm-hmm. so that they don't feel right. abandoned? And I think that's a big thing with kids. It's, they just need to know that you love them, and they are resilient. That's and, exactly right. And they'll manipulate you. Well, and, I'm, you know, we can also have the debate about um, how much parenting changes them. I mean, there's some research out there that says, you know, they are who they are. And my dad used to say, "If not that you can't learn for beyond this, but at six years old, oh, you're done. right? You're done. Your you're integrity, done. your moral you know, compass, it, all of that is instilled in you." My daughter's personality was set in the crib. Right. I sat in the crib. I remember just standing over the crib, watching her smile and think, "Is it gas? Is it gas?" And she just is a sunny individual and was from the beginning and is today. You got lucky. Got lucky. I did and too. I got lucky with my son too. My son is analytical. He was analytical in the crib and he's analytical today. That's great. <laughs> so let's talk about you because I was thinking there's so much I don't know about mm-hmm. you. I mean, obviously I've read a lot mm-hmm. about you and I've tried to kind of put a lot of that back in the back of my mind so that I don't enter this conversation with, I know this, I'm not mm-hmm. going to talk about that. So is there a time in your life that 
was that pivotal moment for you that said, I need to move on, I need to do something different, I need to find a different passion? A number of times. Um, and I think it happens for all of us women. There are few of us in this day and age um, who can or who are able to do something at 25 that they love, and they're doing the same thing at 35 and they love it, and they're doing the same thing at 45 and they love it, and do something at 55 and they love it, and 65 and even 75. Um, and that's in part because the research is clear. We women love to learn. We, we, we crave that, and so doing the same thing is repetitive. Uh, the other reason is because the world's not going to let you. Business is changing so quickly that we're not allowed. You know, we, if we want to do the same job, we can't. I mean, think about marketing, the marketing job. Uh, that marketing job 10 years ago was brand, brand, brand. But, oh, we spend, you know, we spend all this money on marketing, but half of it we waste. We don't know which half it is. Today you do. And that job has gone from... Uh, being a very, very creative job to being creative, but very, very analytical as well. So the world is changing. So I've had a handful of them. I was an investment banker in my 20s. I hated it. It took me the better part of a year to piece together for myself what I liked about that job and what I disliked about it, such that the pieces came together and I said, oh, I should be an equity research analyst. The minute it hit me, and I mean, hours of writing things down and this is a plus and this is a minus, this plus, hours of it. And the minute of standing in my kitchen eating up here, the minute it hit me, kaboom. That's what I was supposed to be for a time, for a time. And then on to director of research, on to running Smith Barney, Merrill Lynch. Um, but all of it involved either my being open to change. I was offered the job as associate director of research. I didn't really want it. I was happy as an analyst. I was successful, but being open to it. And then also recognizing that sometimes the, you know, karma knocks you upside the head and tells you to move on. I had a consultant that would say, you should, I could never figure out what I wanted to do. And this is kind of funny because she was my consultant at USA Today. She was our consultant on sales presentation, on how to question, how to get the right, how to get the answers and just how to speak. And, but she was also my personal consultant mm -hmm. and she was always convincing me to leave USA Today, which mm -hmm. I look back on and mm -hmm. think is hilarious because USA Today was high, paid her yeah. to be my consultant. Yeah, she would funny. always say, do the doing, look at the doing this in your day, not mm -hmm. your job, because people look at your job and they're like, oh, you're off to the World Series games and you're off to the mm -hmm. Super Bowl games. But they're not looking, and so you're hearing that and you're thinking, well, aren't I lucky? I'm getting to do all of this. Mm -hmm. But the doing this of your day, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. And you're in meeting rooms, you're with, oh. right? Exactly, oh. right. And so when you start to do that and write it down, mm -hmm. and she would say every day, just as you're doing things, just write them down and rate them. Mm -hmm. I was on the phone with so-and-so, rate it. And put a little note why. Was it because they were smart, because you learned something? Mm -hmm. Interesting. You know, and you'll be able to figure out eventually what it is mm -hmm. you love doing and then find the job well, that has that. Okay, that I should have had her because I did not have that. And I... um you know, worked at big companies. I worked at Citigroup, which was at the time, and this is pre-crisis creative and entrepreneurial and fast paced and energetic and everybody, even though it had the reputation as being a tough place, people were actually lovely. Um, you know, I went to another company. Okay. It was Bank of America. Um, and it was much more process oriented. 
that this is your job, this is your part of the job, and here's the process and you own part of this process, you don't own the whole process. And um, it was just a very different place. And I loved the city experience. I liked running Merrill Lynch for Bank of America, but I did not like working for Bank of America one iota. Just wasn't the right job for me. And it was only later, and I didn't have an executive coach um, or a consultant, it was only later I took some business personality test. And like you, they said, well, creative leadership um, and then rule following. I was way low on that. <laughs> and as soon as I saw it, I said, well, this, of course, this, this is that relationship, that business relationship was never going to work because I wasn't knowledgeable enough about, about myself and then knowledgeable enough about the company that I was going to work for to say, this is just not going to work. You know, either I'll change the culture or it won't be successful. And obviously you can't change the culture unless you're the CEO. And even then it's almost impossible. Right. And speaking of Bank of America, mm-hmm. can we talk about, because I think for our listeners that are so fearful of failure. Oh, I um, failed. Right. And haven't we all? Haven't, haven't we, all? we all? Haven't we all? I just tend to do it more publicly than most. Yeah. But, you, but you did it gracefully as well. Well, so I hold a world record and, and I don't really want to brag about it too much here to your listeners, but I am the only woman, to the best of my knowledge, who's been fired on the front page of the Wall Street Journal twice. So that's me. Um, the first time was City, which was during the financial crisis. And I was running Smith Barney in the City Private Bank, and we had sold investment products to our clients that we thought were low risk, but ended up being high risk. High risk. We thought they would go down a bit in a bad market, and they went down almost everything in a bad market. And I um, pitched, suggested to, begged my CEO that we should partially reimburse clients, and he said no. It went to the board. Um, the board voted with me, and he fired me. Um, so that sort of was was tough. It was very tough because and I. How really, old were you then? I was. How old was I then? Mid to late forties, mid forties. Um, yeah, mid forties. And uh, I'd gotten there when I was thirty-seven, so young to run those businesses. Um, and it, it was hard. It, I was embarrassed. I I felt like I had done the right thing. I knew I was going to get fired as I went down the path. It was clear as the as a bell to me. It was in some ways a proactive decision by me. I'd rather partially reimburse the clients and not keep my job than otherwise. Um, but it, it hurt. I mean, I actually dreamt the other night that I was that I was back in that situation and that I could feel the firing coming. And, and my reaction to my dream was, not again. Come on. <laughs> That's great. The second time was a restructuring. I and some others were restructured out. Um, so typical corporate stuff. It felt like a firing to me. It um, felt a little nasty. Um, it was done the day after Labor Day and had obviously, when you looked back, had been the reorg had been planned all summer and you're like, dude, dude, we couldn't have done this in July so I could spend time with my then at home kids. Like, dude, really? The day after Labor Day? And they gave me between the time they told me and the time it was released, the time I got out of their office, it was 20 minutes. So my father learned about it on TV. Um, it just felt, you know, rather than a, I get reorgs, I get restructurings. There was an edge to this that was felt just sort of hurtful, frankly. But then how did you pick yourself back up? Let's go through yeah. the first firing. Well, how did you say, okay, I'm, I'm humiliated. I it, was how do I- it was tough. Um, you know, for the first one, I really, I really, I had lunch with people. I talked to people. I called people. I pretended like I was going to be an entrepreneur, but the truth is I was waiting for the phone to ring. That's what I was doing. Um, and, and, you know, a little bit of maybe if people see me out at the 
business restaurant, they'll think of me and, and give me a job offer. Um, but I was just waiting for the phone to ring, and it did. And it ended up, I run Smith Barney for Citigroup. It ended up being the call to run Merrill Lynch for Bank of America. So it's, it's the same thing. You know, Smith Barney needed turning around. Merrill Lynch needed turning around. And I said, I can do this. And I accepted that job too quickly um, because that CEO had told me he'd stay here, stay for two years to look after me. He was gone less than two months later. So I knew I was in sort of a viper pit um, with, you know, being brought in and then, 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 then him leaving. And frankly, I turned, you know, the team and I turned around Maryland. It just wasn't enough. We did what we were supposed to do. We had a plan the day I got reorged. So that was tough. I really mourned it. I felt guilty about it to my team. I called them. I kept in touch with Bank of America. I'm like, bye, you know, and really, if I'll be perfectly frank, if you're going to reorg me and give me 20 minutes notice before you put out the announcement, bye. Right. But right. I'm not going to mourn that. Not only am I not going to mourn this, I'm happy about it because why would I want to spend more time with y'all than I do with my children? So good. Thank you. You know, thank you for that favor. Um, and that one, I just said, forget it. I did something very quickly thereafter. Um, I spent a day feeling sorry for myself. And then the next day I called members of the board and individuals there with whom I'd worked, um, thanked um, everyone for the opportunity to run Merrill, which was an enormous opportunity, and asked them what I could do better and got some some good feedback, much of which was you didn't have anybody fighting for you because the guy who hired you retired right. less than two months after he brought you in. So a champion. Didn't didn't have a sponsor, didn't have a champion, was, was on my own. And when you look back, is there a way that, not putting the responsibility on you, but trying to help young women who are listening, a way to find a champion? When you look well, back, you say, you know, there could have been maybe not that CEO, but there could have been another champion? Or? That one's hard because the other ugly part of the story is there was a senior woman who told me she was my champion. and But then it started to come back to me. Maybe she said this about you and you were supposed to speak at this conference, but she doesn't want you there. And all this stuff started to come back. And I kept thinking, oh, she's my champion. She's my spy. She told me. She told me. And sure enough, she wasn't. Um, and when those things happen, it's hard to keep faith sometimes, right? It felt like I'd been kicked in the stomach. And, and probably, not to get too, into, you know, sort of, you know, emotional, but for me, because I had a working mother who had lots, you know, we had a big, raucous family, I craved attention from more, you know, senior women, guidance. I didn't know any professional women when I was growing up. And, and as I went through my career, I was so quickly the senior woman. I mean, I was a senior woman at Solomon Brothers in London, where I worked at the age of 26. I went to Sanford Bernstein. I was a senior woman almost right away. And so when I actually had a more, you know, okay, the CEO left, but this one, here we go. I felt like I had been gutted. I mean, just gutted. Um, you know, so could I have done the thing I could have done better there is I should have negotiated my entrance better that, you know, it's hard for me to sit here and think I should have made that friend or that mm -hmm. friend. It, it was doomed, right? When the CEO left, um, what I should have done and did not was that I, I took that job on a handshake and he gave me his word. You're going to have this job. We're going to pay you this. This is what we're going to do. And not three months, four months later, at the end of the year, they paid me less than his handshake. And when I said, wait, that's not what you told me. Well, this is the, but I didn't have it in writing. And were you eager to take that job because you were coming out of 
being fired. So you know was, it. was that what you were it like, okay, somebody wants me. There we go. It. Well, it was even better than that because having turned around Smith Barney, then to be invited and then being fired from it, then to be invited to turn around Merrill, which is a bigger business, very high profile. Um, and you know, my, my old boss who had long gone before I got shut, shut out of city had called the CEO of Bank of America and said, this is the one who can do it. She's the one, right? She's the one. Um, so I couldn't run to that job fast enough because here it was this job. I just like the job I had before that I loved, turn it around, prove myself. And of course they all said things like, and if you do it right, you can be the CEO. Advice to your listeners, whenever anybody talks that, do not listen to them, <laughs> you know, unless it's in writing, you know, that's worth the, the price you paid to hear those words. Sally and I are looking at each other, smiling yeah. with that hidden smile, not yeah. the hidden smile, but the hidden thought of been there, been there. Oh yeah. And you oh, yeah. and sometimes you just keep doing the same thing over again though, because the next person you think, you know what? That first person was a different person. This person's different. So I'm going to do it. A woman years ago told me when I became an entrepreneur, don't ever do, do something with a partner. Do it yourself. Mm. And I was like, but, 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 but this guy does this. He does something I don't know how to do. And she was like, great, hire him. Yeah. Do not yeah. bring him on as a partner. Mm -hmm. So I did it and it fell apart. And then the next time I was doing something, it was like, then I was saying, I have this partner. And once again, it's like, but she does this and she has this and she has her PhD. And she was like, that's great. Hire her. Mm. I didn't do it. Fell apart. I've done it probably. And it goes against a rule mm. that I have of if you walk down a road and you fall in a hole, you get yourself up and you mm. pick yourself up and you, yeah. you go, go again. If you go down that road the next day and fall in the hole, pick yourself up. Mm. The third day, find a different yeah, right, road. Right. And it went against that because I probably have done it four times. Mm. And now, whenever someone says, do you want, I have this idea for a business idea, do you want to partner with me? It's really easy mm -hmm. to say, no, no. Mm -hmm. no. But it took me a while mm -hmm. to get there. Yeah, um, I, I understand. It's Well, it's the whole thing is very difficult um, because you, it's trust but verify. It, you do want to believe people. You want to be an optimist. You want to have people take a bet on you. And, and I've, you know, I've had a lot of folks who've been great mentors and sponsors to me in my careers a lot further forward than, than it would have been. But these were some, some bumps and these were people I didn't know. Quite frankly, some of them, you know, I should have done a little bit more digging on in terms of how they treated people before me. Um, that's always a good indication, right? If you've got a partner, you're going to take a job. Um, I always say, and it's getting easier now with technology, ask them, ask somebody about a person they fired. What, what do they say? What does that boss say? If they speak respectfully of that individual, maybe acknowledge it, but say the skill set, you know, the culture wasn't right from the skill set or whatever. But if they speak ill of somebody, you just think, okay, what, what is that telling me? If they, you know, in financial services, we hear all the time, about individuals being fired and escorted out the door. Is that what that company does? And why do you think they're not going to do that to you, right? Why? Because right. I promise you, they liked that guy who they just escorted the door just as much as they like you, like, you know, two years ago or five years ago. In one company, which I would never work at, ever work at, they escorted a guy out the door um, with guys with guns who worked there for 35 years. 
That's sad. It's it's horrible, right? You don't want to work at that company because you don't want to be treated that way. You don't want your colleagues to be treated that way. And how do you think they treat their customers? Right. And I'm not going to tell you who it is, but I assure you, if I told you the name, you would immediately think, boy, they do a, such a bad job for their customers. And this whole thing trickles through. I agree. It, it, all, it all kind of meshes. Mm-hmm. And I think, too, when you're looking for a job, it also is it's very similar to dating, yeah. right? I mean, and getting married. I mean, you don't want to marry somebody that you just met, that you right. know nothing about. But I think jobs we sometimes think, and they are easier to get in and out of than a marriage is, but it really is that not it's jumping hard. into it's it. It's hard right. because it, it's a job offer, and maybe you don't have another job offer. Maybe this is, maybe you ha- you're at a job, but you don't like it or you want a different kind of experience. And maybe you're in an industry where there aren't a thousand zillion companies and it's the big three or the big four. I think it's super hard. And that was really my issue when I went to Bank of America to Merrill Lynch is that there were, there, there are not a lot of jobs to be the CEO of large wealth management firms and brokerage firms. There are not. And anyone that would ever come along for me was going to be broken. Right? You can't imagine, hey, let's have Sally. Because the business is great. Let's have Sally. That's not what happens. Um, and so I figured correctly, actually, that this was probably the one time this job would open up in the next five or ten years. And if it opened up five years from now, what's the guarantee that I would be considered for it? And here I was with it being offered. So I shouldn't have taken it. If I did take it, I should have negotiated better, but I can certainly understand what my thinking was. And then how did you go from that to elevate? Well, lots and lots and lots and lots of thinking, um, lots of, of taking personality tests, which I should, you know, hadn't done in my 20s. Uh, what did you find out about yourself? Well, as we were talking about it earlier where the leadership was very, you know, off the charts this way and the rule following was off the charts that way. I was more creative than I thought, which because I don't paint, I didn't think of myself, you know, sculpt. I didn't think of myself as creative, but in a business way, I'm creative. I am. Um, what's the word? What's the word? What's the word? Um, difficult is one word. <laughs> <laughs> It's great that you're able to say that. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to think there's an exact word, but it it, um I'm determined. No. Unpleasant is another way to say it. Unpleasant. Unpleasant or pleasant. Unpleasant. 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 Um, Not in a I think you're very pleasant. Well, not in a this way. But in the way that if you tell me I cannot do something, I will find every way to do it. That way. If you um you know, I won't try to please you. Um, I need to hang out with you more. Right. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll recognize there are certain people who aren't going to like what we're doing and are going to be some of them angry about it. And, and I can let those things go. So I'm not a pleaser. Um, I'm just a difficult individual. So when you look at those, you say, you know what, maybe those big companies that were so process oriented and, and so on might not have been right for me. And so I continue to think about, okay, now I know myself a little better. What am I passionate about? Closing the gender money gaps emerged as an answer over time. Um, can I, can I, what, how can I best attack these? And at one point it would have been, well, I need to go find a big company or a big institute or a big this or a big that. Um, increasingly now we can say, well, I'll start a business around it or I'll buy a business around it. And, and, um, it was really, I mean, that sounds like a very easy process. 
but it took forever. And so I founded Elevest, which is a digital investment platform for women from scratch. And the thinking here was you, you hear about the gender pay gap. You never hear about the gender investing gap. It can cost some women more over the course of their lives. And is, by the way, investing is the best career advice women are not getting because, because it, it can return for women. If you're making $85,000 a year, you're putting your money in the bank, not investing, putting aside 20% of it versus investing, that can add another 1.5, 2.5 million over the course of your career. Um, so you tell me, do you feel better if you're investing and have earned some returns going in to ask for the new assignment or quit or even ask for a raise if you have more money in the bank or less money? Okay, I'll answer more. that. More. More, right? So, you know, for your listeners, I know most of the advice they're getting is around the get that sponsor, get that mentor. The, if you remember anything from this podcast, don't let it be about my getting fired twice. Um, let it be about invest because closing your, your investing gap with the guys makes all, can make all the difference in life, can make a life very, very differently lived. And Wall Street, by men, for men, tends to make us feel dumb, tends to talk to us in male language, war analogies, sports analogies, etc. The symbol of the industry and the company I ran is a bull. Enough said. Right. Right. Enough said. Um, and so that's why I wanted to found a company that is for women, not in a pink it, shrink it, patronizing way, but in a, hey, we live longer, we earn less. Unfortunately, we need our own portfolios that take this into account. So it's creating this real product for a woman, not just this marketing campaign. It is, oh, the entire industry for years and years and years has asked itself the wrong question about women. It's asked itself, how do I market to women? How do I advertise to women? How do I sell to women? It's never asked itself how I serve women. And it's made an assumption that the, that the way they approach the business, do you want a large cap value fund versus a small cap growth ETF? Because that's the way it's done, and that's the way the guys like it, that that's how women just need to work harder. We just need to work harder in order to figure it out when we approach it in what in some ways is a fundamentally different way. And I will say, and I never invested when I was younger, and I do regret that because had I invested, then when I became an entrepreneur, I wouldn't have been on this hamster wheel oh. of the constant, I need money. And I was bootstrapping. I need money. I need money. And I was tapping into my savings that was mm -hmm. getting smaller and smaller and smaller every day. And there wasn't there that much there because I didn't invest I in a smart way that yeah. I'm doing now as I'm older. So that's, I think that's a, that's huge for all women and especially for young women. It's just do it. Let me tell you something else. The example you set for your daughter. Right. So I have so many women say to me, what should I tell my daughter about investing? And I think they want an answer like, well, a mutual fund is a collection of stuff. You know, you might balance your checkbook, but da, 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 da. nobody's going to remember that stuff. Um, what they're going to remember is what they saw you do. And so I had this insight a handful of years ago. I always told my children they need to exercise, but I did not exercise. I do not like exercising. I do not want to exercise. And then realize is they're sort of, well, why would I exercise? You're not exercising. It was so important. Why aren't you doing it? I began to exercise. It made all the difference. Um, but the same thing with investing, that for us as women, for those 
if you have some more mature listeners who say, ah, too late for me, it's not. Um, but we have got to show our daughters that this is important. We want our daughters to be financially equal with the men in their lives. And if, goodness forbid, they need to leave an abusive relationship or they need to leave a bad job, it is money that will get them there. And that's crass to say, and it makes everybody cringe. But honey, it is money. Money is power in a capitalist society. And the guys have more of it than we do. I'm with you 100%. So making that transition, though, from corporate to entrepreneur, was that tough? Not well, it was, I didn't really have a choice. Right. But, <laughs> after but it's after so a while. Right. It's like, after a while. difficult, so therefore. Um, it is, um, yeah, I mean, it's engaging being an entrepreneur. It's all-consuming. It is fascinating. It is fear-inducing. It's really interesting for me because I ran large institutions during the financial crisis and I went home and slept. I mean, I would go home, I would get in bed, I'd fall asleep, I'd wake up at 5.30 a.m., I'd get dressed and I'd go back to work. As an entrepreneur, I have insomnia. So I wake up at 3.30, I wake up at 3, I wake up at 4. And uh, the other day I had a panic attack. About what? I don't nothing. Just, feel, just the, I got this with the business and we got this and we got to do this and I got to do this. I could just sort of feel my stomach churning. And I got up to speak to a group of people and, and I speak all the time. I speak all, I'm not one of those people like, oh no, I'm so scared to speak. I speak all the time, but the little, there was a touch of adrenaline as I started to speak as there is when you face a crowd. All of a sudden I couldn't breathe. My heart was going and I was pouring sweat. And, and what did you do? Um, I apologized. I was, what, what could you do? I couldn't leave the stage. I just acknowledged it. I said, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm having a moment here. I, I apologize for having a moment, but it was one of the, I thought I'm going to pass out on the stage. Um, so that happened. And it's, and I think the great part of that story, not that you went through that, but that you do come out the other side. I think I so often. I'm still a little humil- I'm a little embarrassed, frankly. <laughs> I actually do not embarrass. I actually right? fell one time on CNBC when I was walking across the stage. <laughs> fell, 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 <laughs> fell. Not tripped, fell. <laughs> like, fell. Like, fell. Like, fell. She's like, fell, get not it? Tripped, I fell, not I fell. Tripped, fell. And um, I thought it was hilarious. I thought it was one of the funniest things that had ever happened. I could almost hear my kids across. They were, at the time they were in New Jersey, I could almost hear them across the Hudson laughing. So did they run over to you? <laughs> the, the yeah, on stage Maria Bartiromo essentially right. semi-caught me and helped me up. But um, so I don't embarrass easily. And that one I'm still feeling a little bit embarrassed about. And why is that, do you think? I mean, falling is an embarrassing thing. Why do you think this hit you harder? I don't know. I often think about it. I think probably because falling feels a little exogenous. Right. Right. I mean, there was something I tripped over it. This is control of, you know, in a way, this is control of central self. Right. Um, come on, body. Let's go. But do you take that as a warning sign? Sometimes I think the I'm universe trying, uh, yeah. serves us yeah. these warning signs that doesn't yeah. knock you out completely. Yeah. And it says, okay, take yeah. stock. I got it. I got it. I know. I'm, I'm driving for the weekend here. Right. But that being said, um, you know, again, first world problems, first world problems. There's, it's not just a slow down, namaste, blah. Um, there's, there's a gratitude that I get to do something that makes me anxious. 
right? Because, you know, happily, my anxiety is, is not about we don't have enough food to eat. My anxiety is I want this business to be successful. And I want, you know, I want our work to move faster. And so there's also a recognition of thank goodness. I mean, I really was thinking that this morning, the car, thank goodness for that. As opposed to, I was reading an article um, last night, yeah, last night, um, on elderly British people who suffer from loneliness and how soul-destroying and debilitating it is. And so if you, anxiety versus loneliness, I'll go for anxiety all day long. Yeah, I agree. Jane Warwin tells a great story about when she was launching Dermalogica, mm-hmm. that there was a woman who was in her 80s that would come to Jane every week. And Jane thought, this woman doesn't have the money. She would take the bus. Mm-hmm. Jane was in the UK then, I think. And so she thought she was doing the woman a favor and said to the woman, you know, how about if I see you like every other week or once a month? And the woman looked at her and said, you know, if it's okay with you, I want to come every week because this is the only place I get touched. Mm. And that yeah. changed Jane's yeah. whole business. Yeah. But when you're talking about older people, I think it's looking at those th- the things in life of you're not being touched and mm-hmm. people are yeah. lonely yeah. and they're by themselves. Yeah. And so it's, you know, it's a great problem to have to build a right. business and you're doing great. So it's a great problem to have. Right. And, and as you're, Readers who might hear some ambient noise as we're sitting here in the office, they'll say, because there's a lot of people around. Right. No, there stuff, is. There right? is. We're sitting in a glass room. Right. We're, we're, and there's we're everybody yes. here. Yes. And so what is the thing that makes you happiest about Elvest now? Oh, I can't tell you. I mean, so I email everyone who goes through the process, who um, begins to fill out a plan, a financial plan. And um, the emails I get back are just amazing, just amazing. It is six paragraphs, it's eight paragraphs, it's ten paragraphs. Um, I talk about that we are co-creating this with women, and we are co-creating this with women. I mean, I've never seen anything like it before. It is rare that I get, I mean, some people, of course, you, you never hear from them. And you get the occasional, this is not you. One got very angry. I said, why are you so angry about it? Okay, let's assume it is a form letter. Don't let it ruin your year, okay? Um, But most folks are love hearing from me, um, are very appreciative, and then give us lots of great ideas. So the fun part is every day opening up my email and reading from individuals. And it's all kinds of things. It's I got stuck here, I didn't understand this, and I love this, and I adore this. And what has been, it makes me emotional, actually, um, what has been so touching is the thanks I get from people. I'm going to get a little emotional for bringing attention to this investing gap and for at a stage of life where some might look and say, you don't need to do this, Sally. Um, but going out and, you know, raising venture capital money, outside money in order to build something that's targeted to us. Because they all know if they never explicitly thought it to themselves, they know that they haven't been getting that from the industry. And so the thanks I get for people who say, I appreciate you doing this, I appreciate you bringing attention to it, is really amazing. And how is Elevest really targeting towards the women? So what are you doing that's different than yeah, what's I'd say out what there? we're doing that's different. So we, we sort of tore everything up from the ground up um, and... So I mentioned earlier, the industry today is, hey, do you want a large cap value mutual fund versus a small cap growth ETF? We are not that way at all. We are literally, what do you want to do in your life? 
So I want to buy a house. I want to buy a house. I want to have a baby. I want to start a business. I want to retire well. I want to, you know, big splurge. Um, Some it's I want to just build some wealth. We take it, we ask you that, we take in information about you, and then we put together, really through some very powerful, powerful technology, a full financial plan for you, investing plan, where you can say, oh, I can't buy the house now. I can buy it in eight years, not six. I, I don't want to retire at 65. I'll retire at 68. And you can see the trade-offs. And uh, so we calculate how much those things will cost. We tell you what you need to do. You need to deposit this much now. You need to deposit this much every quarter, every month, whatever it is. And we provide for you a highly customized, I think the most highly customized out there, investment plan that will get you to your goal or better in 70% of markets. Um, so none, none of this we will outperform the S&P. It's all about getting you to the money you need to live what you want to live. We take into account things like the fact that women live longer. Super important for your retirement. Nobody does that. We take into account the fact that you your salary tends to peak sooner than a man's. Oh, so frustrating. Super important. We take into account the fact that women have told us they are risk aware and they want to know if they have an issue. And so if the markets decline more than we expected, though we build in some pretty robust downsides, if you didn't make your monthly deposit for a few months, whatever, we'll reach out to you and say you're off track. Here's what you need to do to get back on track. You know, deposit $1,000, whatever it is. Um, and, you know, it's interesting because back during some earlier market volatility this year, I would ask everybody, do you know if you're on or off track to achieve your life goals through your investments? And I promise you, whether someone was a client of big Wall Street firm, you know, small digital advisor, corner, whoever, nobody knew. We're the place where you'll know because we track you there and let you know. So it's different. It's, di- I mean, the thing we've really struggled, not struggle with, it's too long a word. The, the, um, opportunity we have to overcome, <laughs> to, to, to hear is that people go in thinking, ah, I'm going to have to know what standard deviation is. And what we, what we instead engage with them on is how do you want to live? My, uh, lead designer let was one of the leaders of the redesign of Vogue.com. My chief product manager is from Weight Watchers, but our chief investment officer has decades of investing experience. So I put together an eclectic team to try to bring the best kind of diverse thinking out of everybody. And was the idea to do LFS, was it one of those when you were eating a pear? Or uh, was that it, was not the pear. That, right, was, that, was, the, was, one of those. that was one, the mascara. It, the idea, so for years, people said to me, you should start an investing business for women. And I really thought Mary Kay. We'd all have on matching suits. We would grab a pedicure. I mean, in part, that's my gender bias because that's how the industry sort of mm-hmm. thought about it, right? We get together and gaggle around. Um, the I, This idea really began when I was putting on my mascara one day and realized that the retirement savings crisis in this country, in the United States of America, is a woman's crisis. That's because we retire with less than the men do, two-thirds the money, and we live five, six, eight years longer. So if we have a crisis, it's ours. And that the way you can close those gaps is not through tax increases and entitlement cuts only anymore, but instead reduce the pay gap, the gender pay gap. will reduce the retirement savings gap by a third. Um, mandated parental leaves, that actually saves companies money. There's new research showing in the first year because women are more likely to return to work if they are allowed to heal and get their child off to a good start. What Crazy. a concept, right? Crazy, what a I concept. Know. Crazy, I know. 
And then third, closing the gender investing gap. And it was only when I realized how impactful and powerful and growth enhancing that could be that I said, I need to get over myself and this point of view that this has got to be pink it and shrink it in order to be for women. And we can do something that to my mind is not just as sophisticated as anything else out there, but more and much more beautiful and talk to us about issues that no one else is like, things like the cost of a career break, much more expensive than most women think, but we want to be having those conversations. Right, right. And do you have, do you, is there a salary income minimum? No, no. This was so important. We, I think it's a dollar. Maybe it's right. a penny. But we, a lot of folks have those minimums and we wanted to make the, make investing accessible to all. I say, Everybody should be investing who's paid off their high interest debt. If you have a credit card debt, get it paid off. Very high interest rates, student loan debt, get it paid off. Then start investing, to be more accurate. Then put some cash aside in case there's a problem called the emergency fund, but then start investing. And so we really wanted to make it accessible. You know, if everybody comes here and puts in $100 or even $1,000 or a dollar, we're going to go out of business at some point right. um, because we won't make money because right. we have some variable costs that are associated with it. But the what we're seeing is about 75% of our clients in its early days put recurring deposits. So for some of them, you put in X amount of money and then you're recurring deposit. And that the combination of, we hope, investment returns and the recurring deposit will make those accounts grow over time. That's the beauty. I think there's so many mentoring moments in what you're doing, not just how you got here, right? But if you look at like mentoring moments is really democratizing and scaling mentoring and you're democratizing and scaling and, and educating women, which is met, which is all about mentoring as well, right? And so I think it's a, a big piece of that. We've got to close out in a minute or two, but is there anything that you, a story you want to tell, anything you want to share that we haven't talked about? The comment, the thought I would leave everyone with is mentoring is so important. Sharing ideas and thoughts is so important. When I was, any number of years when I was in business, if one woman was successful, it almost meant by default another one wasn't going to be. There was a seat at the table. Maybe there were two. Um, and the reason the queen bee existed was because she knew, whether explicitly or implicitly, that if she helped somebody up to the table, that could be her who was gone. Those days are over. And what I'm really interested to see is that particularly with so many more options for all of us, and particularly starting our own businesses or freelancing, that finally one of us being successful means that more of us can be successful. What do I mean by that? Um, that if a woman gets funded by a venture capitalist or on a crowdfunding site, et cetera, because so many of us who, so many people who provide capital, you know, bank executives, bank officials, they look for what they call pattern recognition. And so if one woman is successful, oh, I know, well, there, there was a, you know, black woman who was successful, a Caucasian woman was successful. Oh, yeah, the, the, you know, that's okay, that 32 years old, but da 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 Right now, so many of them just see white, you know, young white guys come through. And so there really is a turning point here where if you're successful, it helps me to increase my chances of success. And then the next step of that is that we move even beyond mentoring and women begin to invest in other women. And I've got, um, I'm the chair of the Pax Elevate Global Women's Index Fund, of which we have many women investors use the mutual fund in order to invest in the top rated companies for advancing women. Well, that's pretty amazing. That's pretty, as we see today, it's outperforming too, right? 
So that's pretty amazing. Elevate Network, which I'm the chair of, is women getting together. And women are moving ahead at the Elevate Network because they're sharing these ideas and sometimes investing in each other's businesses. And then, of course, with Elevest, my third business, which is helping women to invest, which is the ultimate source of power, a lot of the investors are women, too. And so where, you know, this is this idea that it used to, we used to have to sort of, if we're being frank, not look each other in the eye too much, right? And, oh, it hurt. Um, but, to you know, in terms of, you know, if you got ahead, would I get ahead? But today, there's really strength in numbers. I and agree. I still think it's there, though. I still think some of the queen bee is there because definitely. people are competitive, right? And, well, and, and the, it's that scarcity mentality. And, and companies are still non-diverse. Right. And so if you're in a non-diverse company and you're the senior woman, you've either, you know, the patriarchy sort of swallowed you up and you sort of implicitly know all these things I've just said. But I do think where the change is coming is that companies that get it, it's starting to be some really great companies. You know, some companies down on the West Coast, Salesforce was first in closing the gender pay gap. But I think companies are starting to say, you know, there's so much friggin' research around superior company performance with diversity. Maybe there's something to it. Mm -hmm. And you know what's going to happen? If they don't recognize it, we're all going to learn. We're all going to go to other companies using greater transparency because technology enables we're going to start our own friggin' things. Right, right. I mean, this, I think, we're hitting a tipping point I'm with right you. now. I'm with you. Yeah. Good. It's changing. Well, this was wonderful. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for coming by our office. It's a sunny day, too. I know. It's great. It's I great. love the glass walls. Great. Thanks. As we wrap up season one, I want to thank you for downloading, subscribing, listening, writing reviews, and to Chris, our fabulous producer. To get updates on relaunching with Forbes on Podcast One, which will be very soon, please follow me on Twitter, that's at Denise Rastari, and or subscribe to Mentoring Moments right now on iTunes and you'll get the next podcast delivered to you automatically. So until next time, please check out Mentoring Moments on Forbes.com for stories you can read and share. You just enjoyed a Forbes podcast. To learn more about our other shows, visit Forbes.com slash podcasts. Thank you.